Welcome to Superior Mind Body Health Podcast. I am your host, Monica Banach, an advanced practice nurse and a certified health coach. My guest today is Natalie Battaglia. She is my inspiration for living alcohol-free life. She's been three plus years alcohol-free. It all started with a bet. Someone, someone bet her that she would never be able to stop drinking. Next thing you know, three years later, she's still not have had a drink. She started this beautiful Instagram page with uh, these home-crafted mocktails, basically. It's called the Mindful Mocktail, where she is sharing with people beautiful alcohol-free drinks that are good for you, healthy, and they don't make you feel like crap the next day. So if you're one of those that's kind of like super sober curious, this might be a great episode for you. I myself have been alcohol-free for a little bit over six months, and I have truly also saw the benefits in my own life, my mindset, my body, my health. So I hope you enjoyed it. Welcome, Natalie Battaglia. So excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me and asking me to come on. But those who don't know you, if you don't mind just giving us a little background on yourself and how you got into, how you started with sober lifestyle, alcohol-free, and your beautiful uh, Instagram with the most beautiful crafted mocktails. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I had, shall I go back and sort of tell my story as to how yeah. relationship with alcohol changed? Because it's sort of, that's where it sort of all started for yeah. me. So it would be around four years ago now, although it was much longer than that, if I'm being honest, I recognised my relationship with alcohol was not great. Um, So if we go back, you know, to when I was younger, you know, I was a child in the 80s in Australia, you know, alcohol was just everywhere. Alcohol was part of like every celebration, commiseration, uh, kids' birthday parties, you know, my mum and dad's birthdays, like, you know, alcohol was just always present. And, you know, mum and dad and I have had lots of conversations about how alcohol was just always around when I was younger. So it's certainly not a blame game. It was just the way things were. Um, And our house was, you know, very secure and loving and, you know, we had a great upbringing. But it's just that, you know, alcohol was always there. So I guess I grew up just thinking that that was normal to be, you know, for alcohol to be part of almost everyday life. And, you know, essentially when I grew up and moved out of home, I adopted very similar drinking habits. So I would always have, you know, wine after work. I'd have wine after a good day. I'd have wine after a bad day. It was just always a reason to open a bottle. And the boyfriend that I was living with at the time, he loved to drink as well. So, you know, we were, you know, early 20s then. So we were out partying, doing all the things that, you know, young people did back then. Um, We would go out multiple nights like end on end, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And, you know, looking back, honestly, I I wouldn't change that time, you know. To be honest, that was part like some of the real formative years of my life and some of the best times of my life. Um, 
And I used, I shouldn't sort of, you know, I don't want to glamorise it or anything, but if I can describe it as I was using alcohol in the healthiest way, and I'm doing inverted commas in the air, (laughs) in the healthiest way possible. So I would use alcohol to enhance an already good social situation, if that made sense. Yeah. Um, I wasn't using alcohol to like numb or escape reality or anything like that. But then um, I separated from that relationship and then I met someone new and um, we ended up getting married and having kids. And it was really after um, I had my two little boys um, very close together that my relationship with alcohol really started to take a turn. And, you know, I think I really struggled in those first couple of years of being a mum and I think Looking back, if I'm being really honest, I probably had some sort of postnatal depression um, Mm -hmm. and just felt very, very hard to adapt to being a mum and having all this responsibility. And, you know, I really missed, I was quite a social butterfly back then and I really missed going out with my friends and, you know, catching up for dinners and, you know, dancing till the wee hours of the morning and, you know, I I just found that whole transition really difficult and I found myself keeping up a similar drinking pace but now I was doing it at home by myself because my husband didn't drink, like he's not really a drinker at all. Um, you know, so I'd be instead, I went from, you know, having a nice dinner out with friends, you know, and having a couple of glasses of wine with my fish or steak or whatever, like complimenting the food to standing at home, folding the washing, downing a bottle of red wine by myself mm-hmm. with two kids. And that happened like really subtly over probably a period of like two to four years where I was really relying on alcohol more and more to sort of cope with life and, you know, just sort of numb down the monotony of I I make motherhood sound terrible don't get me wrong I love being a mum but in those early days I had a baby and a toddler and it was just really hard I just found it really hard I mean Um, you were living the mommy wine culture which is so common here in the United States it's like okay now kids went to sleep now I I can have a glass of wine or you know I, I get it I get it yes and it was it was everywhere and it was accepted mm-hmm my husband knew that I was drinking at the well he well towards the end he didn't realize exactly how much I was drinking but you know no one ever said anything to me no one ever said hey Nat do you think maybe you know you should stop or drink less or it was really this internal voice that I started to hear it was like oh this is not good because you know she speaks to me this internal yeah. voice I ignore her <laughs> and, <laughs> case I ignored her for many years but I started to do funny little things like instead of bringing the wine out onto the kitchen bench I would drink the wine in the cupboard so Mm. I would have my wine in the cupboard and I would have my glass in the cupboard and I would stand there and drink the wine um you know, and hide it from the kids and hide it from my husband, Damien, you know, and then I started to put the recycling bin out because I didn't want him to feel how heavy it was. Um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, all these, I started to hide it more and more. 
And, you know, a couple of really scary things happened with the kids when they were younger. Um, And, you know, there was this, the real sort of like turning point for me where I thought, all right, Nat, you know, this, we've really got to do something about this here. It was just like a really subtle thing, but I think I was ready to hear it. Like my brain was finally ready to receive this message that, you know, had been whispering all of these years. Um, my husband and my four-year-old son, they were doing like some meal prepping in our kitchen and they had all of these nuts that they were meal prepping. And my grandma had recently passed away. So I was up in the study and I was putting together her, I don't know if you call it the same thing over there, but like a eulogy. Mm -hmm, Um, Yeah. yeah, So I had like all old photos, old videos, and I'd been put in charge of putting together like this slideshow that would play in the background during her eulogy. And I was very close to my grandma. So I was quite devastated about her passing. And it was a Saturday afternoon. And I said to my husband, I'm going to have some champagne while I do this. So I'd taken this bottle of champagne up into the study and I was scanning all these photos and trying to put this presentation together. And I, um, Damien called me down from the kitchen and said, you know, Nat, can you just come here for a minute? And his voice sounded really strange. And I walked down the hallway and there was my four-year-old son sitting on the bench having an anaphylactic reaction oh. to nuts on the bench. Oh. Um, and at the time we didn't know he was allergic to nuts. So this was a complete shock to us. Um, and we didn't really even know what was happening. We'd never seen anyone have an, alle- an anaphylactic reaction before. But, you know, his mm-hmm. eyes Uh, Yes, and, you know, lips were starting to swell and everything was, like, moving quite quickly. But I remember the first, this, like, split second first thought, like, first reaction was I was pissed off. I was annoyed because I was going to have to stop drinking. Mm. And it was so, it wasn't even a second. It was like a split second thought, like far out, I've got to deal with this now kind of thing. And then we sprung into action, called the ambulance. He was fine. You know, he has a nut allergy that we manage now. But in the weeks and months that followed, I really did a lot of self-reflection there and thought about, you know, how bad it could have been if I'd been, if I wasn't only two glasses in, like what if I was a bottle in or two bottles in, um, why I prioritised in that moment, you know, not being able to drink over my son and his health and just really did a lot of soul searching and, you know, really came to the realisation that I'd known deep down for a long time, but it was that alcohol just had this huge hold on me and it was becoming more and more unhealthy as the years went on. And that was the point in time where I sought help and, yeah, pretty much discovered, yeah, that I had alcohol use disorder and was using, you know, alcohol in a really, really unhealthy way. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this story. You know, you're not like, oh, I'm an alcoholic and you know it. It's just the use of alcohol over time. It just becomes more addicting. Alcohol is one of the most addicting substances out there. And I personally can relate to your story. Um, I don't have kids, but I've been in situations where 
alcohol really was taking over things like, no, this is more important than this. So uh, I stopped, actually stopped drinking six months ago. So I'm a little bit under <laughs> what you are, but yeah, that's a very powerful story. Wasn't there something like, was, that, was did somebody like, um, did do a bet with you that you won't be able to quit or something? And that's, that's how it started or. Yeah. My husband, he, he knows me very well. <laughs> to outsiders, it can sort of come across as unsupportive, to be honest, because he said to me, you will never be able to stop drinking. Like you, you won't be able to do it. Um, and, you know, to, as I said to other people, they might think, wow, what an asshole. But he said that to me. <laughs> yeah. so, I love a challenge and by telling basically when someone tells me I can't do something that's just licensed for me to go well I'll show you so you know we still joke about it to this day but you know with one sentence he was able to stop me drinking <laughs> I'm, just I'm the same I'm the same way hey you challenge me um and you tell me I yeah. can't do something I'm gonna show you <laughs> that's right so. That's awesome. So it it was like a temporary, you were like, okay, I'm going to stop drinking temporarily, but it was never like, oh, I'm never going to drink. It was just like, oh, I'm going to show him that I, yes, I can stop drinking. That's right. So I ended up doing, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but the live alcohol experiment, it's run by Annie Grace. That's right. So uh, they're actually picking up the course again tomorrow, which it's an amazing Um, they do like a live one where, you know, you can interact with the coaches and everything. Mm -hmm. But um, I did the 30-day live alcohol experiment and really by day, I think it was 16 or 17, I was just, I'd heard enough. I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's it. I could not believe, I mean, look, I probably didn't want to know up until this point, but I couldn't believe what I was hearing about alcohol and about how bad it is for us. And, like, in particular, um, I don't want to, like, how can I say this? I'm a bit of a feminist myself, so I don't want to call this the weak agenda. But seriously, when it comes to alcohol, females are the weaker gender in terms Mm. of how process alcohol, how our bodies get rid of alcohol, how, you know, men and women can drink of the same, the same weight. We can drink a similar amount in one sitting and the way it impacts our bodies in comparison to a male's body due to our, you know, fat composition and everything, you know, we, our bodies just take on so much more of the alcohol than what, um, what it does for a man. And it's just, you know, I mean, the age I'm turning 40 next month and, you know, from the ages of 35 onwards, a woman's liver percentage can actually, like size, can actually reduce by up to 40% Mm. during these next few years of our lives. And, you know, I just, yeah, I don't know, some of the things that I heard, I just thought women our age, they need to hear this information. I follow some really fantastic sobriety coaches, um, Sarah Rusbatch and um, Lucy from Thrivalist Sobriety. Um, And even the other day, like we were talking about how, um, you know, over here in Australia, at least women aged 35 to 60, like we're drinking at record levels, which Mm. is really scary. The younger 
younger ones are, you know, waking up and realising just how bad alcohol is, but this whole age group of 35 and above really are still drinking quite a lot. Um, And, yeah. That's interesting. I wonder why is that, the 35 to 60? Is it just the years of more, like, alcohol addiction over years? Maybe you end up drinking more or stress or just lifestyle? Personally, I think it's um, the fact that we all grew up with it. So we grew up in a different mm-hmm. time. 20-year-olds, teenagers are growing up now with much more awareness and education as to how bad alcohol is, <laughs> whereas a lot of people who are sort of 35, 40, 50, 60, they're like, ah, whatever, I've drunk alcohol my whole life, I'm not going to change now kind of thing. So I mm-hmm. think in many ways we're sort of set in our ways. But also it's interesting because when we hit our mid-30s, our progesterone levels start to decline Mm -hmm. and progesterone is responsible for like feeling calm, feeling relaxed, being able to Feeling good. Good, like all of these things, like less depressive thoughts. So from our late 30s, like we start to feel more anxious and more stressed Mm -hmm. and our sleep is impacted and everything else. But that is also the time where for most of us, our lives are at the busiest they have ever been. Many of us have, it's that time of the year, time of our lives where many of us like have young children or our careers are taking off or we're caregiving to our parents because they're getting elderly. You know, we're, you know, married or we've got friendships that we need to nurture. You know, we're working hard. We're running a household. Like, so our poor bodies, like, you know, I feel for women because at this time where our our ability to manage stress mm. is reducing. Our lives are often the most stressful they've ever been. Mm. So, so, and women naturally, I think, just turn to quick fixes because we're so busy and it, it can seem easier to reach for a glass of wine than to go for a half an hour walk or to calm our minds down enough to meditate or whatever it is that, you know, will give us that same level of relaxation. Um So we reach for a drink thinking that it's going to calm us down. But research now shows that alcohol over time actually lowers our resilience and our ability to manage stress. Increases increases our anxiety, makes our sleep worse, our REM cycle. I, I actually, I read the This Naked Mind by Annie Grace and I did the 30 day alcohol experience that I actually read the book. I, I don't know if I did the same thing that you did. But that really opened my eyes as a medical professional myself. Like I didn't know all the statistics, all the things like cancer risk and women, like it just triples when you're drinking alcohol. And people think that it's like big, large amounts of alcohol. It doesn't have to be a lot. It's, It's like light to moderate consumption. And I myself didn't drink every single day, but those weekends, like, easily a bottle in, at night watching a movie. I mean, it was like the, the norm. Okay, I got home. It's been a busy day or week at work. And first thing you do, you pop a bottle and you're just like, oh, that's the norm and just relaxing. And then next thing you know, you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning because you haven't slept well. And it's always the same time, three to four. Always wake up when you when you drink. Well, it's interesting because in China, I don't, I don't know much about Chinese medicine, but I remember someone telling me this whole, you know, we were talking about, oh, what is it about 3 a.m.? And in Chinese medicine, waking mm-hmm. up at 3 
AM is the sign of an unhealthy liver. Oh, so yes. Doesn't it? Because your yeah. your body's like desperately trying to process all this alcohol, um, you know, and, yeah, so it, we sort of naturally wake up at that time. But it's, you know, like, again, we don't talk about the fact that when we drink alcohol, like our body's first response to that is poison, poison, danger, danger, and its first priority is getting rid of the alcohol, you know. Yeah. So it's almost sort of like I won't say shuts down and you would know more about this than me, but let's just say you're having wine and a pizza. <laughs> Your oh, body's yeah. process like that pizza and to get rid of like the, you know, nasties from the pizza and like you know for our metabolism to be working effectively because our body is processing no get rid of the wine get rid of the wine we're unable to process the pizza properly which results in its extra weight gain and like it's just all I I could on and on there's so many things that I learned that is mind-blowing to me that we just we don't talk about it's just such a I mean, we're getting better at it, don't get me wrong. Yeah, you know, but- I actually, I love now, I've seen the sober culture being so prominent in the last year or so, and I love it. Like, I see more influencers talk about it. And, like, people that I didn't even know that don't drink, like Thomas DeLauer, uh, a lot of the um, celebrities out there that don't drink. And so it's, I love that people are coming up with it and sharing this information. And, you know, it doesn't have to be like, Hey, I was an alcoholic. Sometimes it's just when it's unhealthy, if you're using it in an unhealthy way, like to numb or to release your stress, it is not good for you. And oh, Andrew Huberman, I don't know if you listen to some of his stuff. He talks extensively about how alcohol is any amount, even the smallest amount is neuroinflammatory, inflames your your brain. And it's just toxic to your body. Ethanol is a toxin. If we didn't put all the sugar, all the additives in the alcohol, you would not be able to drink it, you would your body would throw it out completely, you would not be able to drink it. So it's, 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 it's crazy. Like when the lights get turned on, like I talk, talk to my friends about like all of a sudden just having this realization mm-hmm. of how bad it is and like how weird it is now when I go to like a fancy bar and there's just this massive wall of like beautiful drinks and yeah. all different colors and all the lights and everything looks pretty and so sophisticated and in my head I'm like it's ethanol and sugar yeah. it's ethanol and sugar. what are we doing why are we glamorizing it in this way um yeah it yeah. is and you know it's like a conditioned throughout the, our entire life is the the liquor stores the movies that we're watching everybody you know like oh drink every movie you watch they're drinking wine they get home and subconsciously that's what your mind gets conditioned that that is the norm and that is like what you do when you're happy when you're having a good time and they don't talk about the other effects so speaking of like for yourself, I know you've been you have you've been alcohol free for over three years. What effects have you seen in your body that have improved? Like what have you seen yourself? Mm. Well, the number one thing I would say is the sleep. And again, going back all those years, I really did underestimate how important quality sleep is. Yes. Um, you know, I had multiple wake-ups a night or I'd wake up early in the morning 
um, after going to bed late and I never realised, I mean, I always knew that good sleep was important, but I guess I never realised how important it was. So the sleep would be, you know, the absolute number one thing for me. And I'm also a really big believer on about like the way you start your day really does set the pattern for the rest of the day. And when I think about, you know, all those years where I woke up with like a dry mouth, Mm. dull headache, like feeling really sluggish and gross, like makeup still on from the night before, (laughs) just, you know, like messy, just messy, Um, you know, and, and that's how I was starting every day, like already like super dehydrated, going down to the kitchen, sculling some coffee, making myself more dehydrated, Um, you know, in an effort to wake up and then dealing with two kids, Mm -hmm. you know, all day and then working and all the rest of it. Um, So I'd say, yeah, like sleep and the way I start my mornings because now I wake up, don't get me wrong, like I don't wake up every morning and bounce out of bed or anything, but, (laughs) but I wake up and I generally feel good you yeah, know you're refreshed you're not hungover you're you're not like dragging you know behind yeah yeah um and also it was funny because before I I stopped drinking I had I felt like my life was totally full like I absolutely couldn't fit anything else into my life like I was just so busy all the time and um, I was at capacity. Whereas it's so interesting because I quit drinking and all of a sudden this whole new world has opened up with the Mindful Mocktail. I have connected with people all over the world and I've essentially started, you know, a new a community and which has now turned into somewhat of a business but my life hasn't changed otherwise. Like I've still got the kids and I still work my other job and I still do all of the other things, but somehow I've managed to create this amazing thing on top of what I was already doing. And, you know, when I look back all the time that alcohol took up, you know, it's not just the drinking, it's not just the the act of the drinking, but it's the sleeping that bit longer than the next day because you feel so rotten. It's hitting that three o'clock slump in the afternoon and not being able to function or do anything properly after that. Um, It's all the, you know, the thoughts and the, I guess I just devoted so much time and energy to alcohol that I thought I didn't have any more time, but it's like all of a sudden I've just got this extra time and I've been able to fit this whole new business into my life. Yeah. And you know, and the, another thing that comes with that is also that mind clarity, you know, you're when your mind is clear, you're not like living, I, I felt when I was drinking, I was always in this fog, I felt like, I was always tired, I was always in this fog. And it's like, now, I don't even, I don't even remember that life anymore. Like, especially on the weekends, waking up Saturday after having a bottle of wine on the Friday night, watching a movie, you're dragging butt, you know, like you're supposed to go to the gym, but you're just so tired, just foggy. It's just, oh gosh, I don't even want to remember. And I used to like schedule in hangover dates, you know, like if I knew I went (laughs) on Saturday, 
Yeah. And someone asked me to do something on the Sunday, I'd be like, oh, there's no possible way because I'll be hungover. Like I'll be on the couch. Fifty percent of my weekend because of the Saturday night and it's crazy. It, it you- really it really is. So speaking of your Instagram page, because that's how I found you through the mindful mocktail page on your Instagram with your beautiful, colorful, crafted mocktails. How did that come to life? Like, when did that start? Oh, so when it was actually very soon after I stopped drinking, you know how we really are creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. And I would always reach for a wine at, you know, five o'clock or like in my darker days, it would be earlier than that. But I was basically just missing that afternoon drink. And At the time, back then, you know, I looked at alcohol-free options to see what was available, but, you know, so many of them, I mean, even now, it's getting better now, but so many of them were just packed with, like, artificial sugar and, you know, just juices or just really not great stuff. And I thought I don't, I was also very aware of, you know, that sugar can be addictive too, and I'm like, I don't want to go from alcohol addiction to a sugar addiction. (laughs) So. Um, I just thought to myself, surely there must be a better way. And this was the time we were coming into COVID. And I thought I was at home, obviously, like everyone else was with um, my boys and my husband was working very long hours. Um, So it was a real, actually a really hard time, like probably one of the hardest times to quit drinking, really. Everyone else's drinking was ramping up, whereas I was like, I cannot do a lockdown with alcohol. This is not going to be good for me or my kids if I do that. Um, But I had this like herb garden that the boys and I used to, you know, sort of tend to. And I thought, I wonder if I could start making drinks, you know, really nice drinks, but with less sugar and fresh ingredients and just sort of see how, how it works. Uh, so I did. I started creating these recipes. I looked into, um, you know, mixology, did a lot of research online as to, you know, how to make. There wasn't a lot out there now. My website has become sort of more of a resource on how to make mm-hmm. mocktails because there wasn't a lot out there. But um, basically just sort of looked into flavour pairing and, you know, balancing um, flavours and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I started to make these drinks and then I started to share them with, uh, friends and family, you know, I text them through, share them with friends and family and had great feedback and just thought, you know what, I'm going to start something here. This is going to be like my COVID project. Um, so I started Instagram first and I started sharing some recipes, but it was interesting, you know, it was really when I started sharing my personal story that it really started to take off. So I was sharing about how on paper, like I was a classic high achiever, good job, two young kids, you know, functioning member of society, like no one, like sort of seemingly well put together. Like people have said to me since, you know, gosh, you just never would have known that you had a problem with alcohol. Um, And, yeah, and just started sharing my personal story and it just was amazing. I I got emails, I got messages so many comments, so many people following me just saying this is exactly me, you know, but it's so shameful to admit that you have a problem with alcohol, you know, because there's these, mm-hmm. you know, connotations of like, you know, drinking out of brown paper bags and being like a drunk in the gutter kind of thing, whereas it just, 
you know, is not like that at all. Like so many of us are just, you know, people with alcohol use disorder in plain sight who just look like everyone else and you just never know. And, um, yeah, it was really then that I started to build the community um, and then I started my website, um, which is now, it gets over a million sessions every year. Wow, um, that's awesome. And, yeah, and um, I share a bit on there about, you know, my sober life and, and everything. And, yeah, so it just it really went from there. And Instagram is really where you know, a lot of my connections have been made. It's such an amazing platform and, you know, I have people that have been following me since the very beginning and brand new, um, you know, followers that are coming on every day and it's just a really, really fun place to be. And it's not just about non-alcoholic cocktails. I also share, you know, we've got Dry July starting here today in Australia and I also share things like what happens to our bodies after one week alcohol-free, two weeks alcohol so just you know alcohol education and exploring like encouraging people to explore a life with less alcohol or no alcohol it's it's I I love your Instagram I think it's absolutely outstanding it's beautiful it's well just everything on it is just perfect so those who want to check her Instagram out the mindful mocktail um and even just like sober curious like just go on there and just read and and try these mocktails. Like I actually went on my first beach vacation this year where I didn't drink. It was like my first beach vacation on my birthday and I didn't drink and I've yeah. never felt better. It was like, this was when I knew I was like, I got this. Because, you know, I think for me, the biggest thing with quitting alcohol, as we all know, alcohol is one of the, only drugs out there that we have to make an excuse why we don't want to drink, why we don't want it, which is so bizarre. Just, just this whole stigma with like not drinking. It's, it's so crazy. So for me, before when I tried to like, just not drink, I always felt like I was giving up something. And when I got to the point where I realized that I'm not giving up, I'm gaining so much. I, but giving up this one thing, I'm ga- gaining so much in my life. I'm gaining the vitality, energy, my health, feeling good, being in control. Because any addiction, it's you're not in control, whether it's coffee or alcohol, whatever else out there. So that that was the biggest thing for me that helped me realize that, no, I don't need it because I'm gaining so much more. I'm not losing or giving up something. And having options like the non-alcoholic drinks, I I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I know for some people, especially with a non-alcoholic beer and wine and things and spirits, like things that are truly meant to replicate alcohol, um, you know, it can be dangerous to play yeah. around Um things that that emulate or replicate alcohol. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd always say proceed with caution, um, especially if you're early on and you did fall, you know, on that alcohol use disorder scale, just, you know, proceed with caution and be mindful. Um, But there are also, if you're not ready to experiment or you don't want to experiment with things, you know, plenty of um, my recipes they're not meant to emulate alcohol. It's just like a nourishing drink 
an adult drink that just tastes good and a lot of them have, you know, nutritional qualities and benefits too. And there's also plenty that you can store-bought things you can buy, as you say, like even your kombuchas or, you know, lots of different things that aren't meant to replicate alcohol mm-hmm. that are a really nice, you know, replacement for that afternoon wine or if you're going to a barbecue or something like that that you can open. So it's really an excellent time to be exploring you know, drinking less, drinking nothing, um, because there's just so many options out there now. It's a really exciting time. Yeah. How long did it take you to see a difference in your body and your mind when you stopped drinking alcohol? Look, body-wise, both were almost immediate, to be honest. Like if we're talking mind, I mean, I woke up after that first week and was just like, this is incredible. I mean, it sounds terrible, but I couldn't remember the last time I hadn't had a drink for a week. Like it would have been when I was pregnant and then pregnancy mm-hmm. comes with it, all these other things. So you sort yeah. of fit not anyway a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I just, I could not believe how good I felt. Um, I've always been sort of a smaller person. So I wouldn't say like weight loss or anything was a big thing, but I could start to see like my skin was brighter my eyes, the whites of my eyes were whiter, even my teeth were whiter because I yeah. wasn't drinking wine was, you know. A, uh, yeah, the red wine, yes. <laughs> the the purple teeth, the purple teeth. Oh, my gosh. So many pictures of the pur- purple teeth. Oh, my gosh. But I would wake up. I would wake up. Yeah, so, I mean, the changes were almost immediate. And the thing is, too, like, it really does get, better and better and better. So I had sort of experimented with dry months here and there um, and got to the end of the 30 days and thought it was almost like a justification, like, there you go, I can go 30 days without alcohol, I don't have a problem with alcohol. See, everybody, I don't have a problem with alcohol, I can go for 30 days. But, you know, I was crawling to the end of those 30 Mm -hmm. days counting down the days till I drink and again looking back now it's like Nat you know you were crawling to the end of that 30 days desperate for a drink Mm -hmm. that indicates that that was that was a problem for you you know one of the best sayings I ever heard was if not drinking is a problem then drinking is a problem Mm. and it's so true if if you're not and you're really desperately feeling like you're missing out or craving it, then that's the sign that maybe, you know, things aren't quite right. Mm -hmm. So for you, would you say that your husband challenging you to the, like, no, you can't quit, was that the thing for you that that did it for you? Or was it the the situation with your son or just kind of like a accumulation of different things? accumulation of different things but really the moment where I realized you know things need to change was what happened with my son and my mind immediately going to missing out on drinking for the afternoon when I should have been you know tending to him and you know lots of mums have sort of said to me you know oh that's normal like 
you know, we feel the same way. I remember my daughter was hurt once and, you know, my thought was, oh, my gosh, I don't want to have to take her to the doctor because I want to keep drinking or we're partying here or whatever. And a lot of people say that's normal, that's normal. But I guess the thing is I didn't want that to be my normal. Like I wanted to make a choice for me and say Mm. I don't want that to be my normal. And, you know, I was also very aware of the fact that, um, the fact that I had grown up seeing my parents drink almost every day mm-hmm. was one of the reasons why I took on those drinking habits and I didn't want my boys to see yeah. me drinking every day and thinking that that was the norm. Mm-hmm. We don't demonise alcohol in this house. We don't, I mean, they're only, the boys are still only young. They're six and eight. So the whole alcohol conversation doesn't come up very often. But they do love mummy's drinks. <laughs> mummy's <laughs> always they tell their friends that mummy makes these special mocktails, which is very cute. Um, do they help you out with those? <laughs> yeah, they help me out. Yeah, they help me out. They've got a very sweet palate, though. They love all the sweet drinks, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. Um, it's very cute. But um, yeah, I just I didn't want them. We don't demonize alcohol in the house. We don't speak badly about it and I just want them to get to a point when they come to an age where they're ready to try alcohol that you know they go in without being swayed you know either way from society or from us yeah because kids model too like you know you're if you're drinking every night your glass of wine they model after you and they think that's the norm and so yeah that's important too we don't think that a lot of times they see it you know like a four-year-old three-year-old but they do they see what you do and they model after that is there a um, safe amount of alcohol or do you think all levels of alcohol can be addicting at some point well i mean it's like saying is there any safe level of smoking I mean, my answer is I think, look, <clears throat> there's so many, and you could, would probably be able to speak to this better than me, but um, our genetic makeup can determine whether we're more predisposed to alcohol addiction or not. You know, so that's why you can have one person who could have half a bottle of wine or one glass of wine and say, yeah, that's enough, thank you, and you have someone else who has one or two glasses of wine and they're desperately trying to f- finish the bottle and then go for another bottle. Yeah. So personally, I would say it depends on the person. You know, I have a couple of friends who are, again, I'll do it in inverted commas, like healthy drinkers if there is <laughs> yeah. They can literally go out, have a bowl of pasta, have one glass of wine and not drink again for three weeks, you know. Yeah. And then someone like me who, if that was me having that red wine with the pasta, I would then order order another one or probably another two before we left the restaurant. And then I would go home and open a bottle of wine and sit there and drink it by myself. So I would say it's really a case-by-case basis. Um, I mean, if we're looking like at the technicalities of it all, technically for our bodies, no. Like it's not safe. Our bodies prioritise getting rid of the alcohol as soon as it goes in. So our bodies don't like it. They give it's giving us a message to say, you know, get rid of this poison. So I think people can just listen to the information and interpret it as they as they want to. But like I would say if you're a regular drinker, 
and you haven't tried to take a decent break from alcohol, um, I think you would be very surprised after what can happen after a month, two mm-hmm. months, three months. Um, but I think, you know, society and the lives that we've built for ourselves, especially if we are drinkers, mm-hmm. um, can make it very hard to do that. So, You know, I do think uh, for a lot of people, the hardest part of the alcohol, drinking alcohol is the social you know, mm-hmm. when you go out and, you know, you go on a date, if you're single, you go out for drinks. And it's it's like that social stigma that people, I, th- I feel like more people would quit drinking if that social stigma wasn't there. Like, oh, you're not, ha- you're not drinking? Because then people assume right away that then you have an issue. Or like when you go out, like now you have so many more choices, like you have the mocktails, like stuff that you're doing, you go to a bar and they do, they do have a non-alcoholic option. So I do think that, that with the sober movement, it is getting a little bit easier for people to be like, you know, this, it's okay. It's okay not to have a drink and have to make an explanation why you're not drinking for whatever reason you have. And, um, you know, if you don't smoke, people don't ask you, oh, why, why don't you not smoke? Like, I've never had anyone ask me, why don't you smoke? Everybody knows smoking is bad for you. Or why don't you do cocaine, right? But for yeah. alcohol, it's like, why are you not drinking? What's wrong? Are you you okay? So yeah. it, it it is hard. I can see like that social aspect of it where it makes it, for me, that was the hardest thing for me, for like personally going out and friends that always, you know, go out to drink or you meet at the bar for wine. So. Well, I think like the hardest thing really for people like you and I to stop drinking is when you've always been a drinker, you by default build a life around you where drinking fits in. So Mm -hmm. you usually find that all your friends are drinkers. Um, you find that people expect you to drink. You, you know, you, you've built a life around you that involves drinking naturally because you are a drinker. And I think, I think that's why community is so important. I think it's why connecting with other people who don't drink is so important because it can feel very, very isolating if you're the only one people who have decided to make a big life change and some people don't react very well to that especially if they're heavy drinkers themselves um so you know I know for me when I create I know I was in sort of a different situation because I created the mindful mocktail and you know people were coming to me telling me their stories but like I would say if you decide to cut down on alcohol or stop drinking because you know that it's no longer serving you really try to make an effort to find, you know, there are plenty of sober social groups around. You know, you can do, you can connect with people online if you're not comfortable introducing yourself to a new group of people. But, you know, I know over in the States they definitely run them. I know, like, there's No Booze Babes by Shay. Um, And there's just, like, Sober Dave over in the UK. Um, There's a membership over here called... um, Untoxicated, you know, and they do hikes and beach walks and, you know, all of those things. Because when you actually start to connect with other people who don't drink, mm-hmm. you realize how many people there actually are that don't drink. But if you yeah. build your life around people who do drink, well, of course, that's all you're going to know. But I'm telling you right now, there are millions of people out there who yeah. have decided 
that's it. You know, I'm not going to drink anymore. And um, it's a a really good opportunity to connect with new people and, like, broaden your horizons when it comes to friendship groups and and everything. Yeah, that's excellent advice right there. Becoming part of a community because, like you said, it it can be isolating. Like when everybody around you that you know drink and you're the only one that doesn't, it's not always comfortable. Like, I don't mind people drinking my- around me. I don't care. But if you're the only one in the group where everybody else is like really tipsy or drunk, it is not enjoyable at all. It's not. But I think, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to start laying down some real ground rules for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, I was in a, I will, will say, like, sounds weird, but kind of like blessed situation in that COVID happened when I stopped drinking so I didn't have to I had all the extra stress to deal with so I was really missing the wine from that regard but um I didn't have the social situations to deal with and it was interesting when we opened back up after COVID after sort of like 12 because we had the longest lockdown in the world over here in Mm. Melbourne like after 12 months we were finally able to see people in groups again and um you know we were able to drink together and of course everyone just wanted to drink so all of a sudden I had myself after 12 months of not drinking my biggest challenge was oh my gosh I'm facing all of these people now who still expect me to drink and and you know I have to deal with the fact that I'm the only non-drinker but you know I set some pretty clear rules around it back then with myself you know it's like an hour or two of drunk people and I'm pretty much done Mm -hmm. so I'm going to use that opportunity to say see you later like go to bed early wake up the next day and have something planned like yoga or a beach walk or something that I would not have done if I was hungover yeah you know making most of that next morning um and it's okay to say no to social events for a while or to if someone asks you do you want to go out for dinner ask them do you want to go out for breakfast or brunch instead Mm -hmm. you know and sort of fashion a life for a while around things that don't involve drinking yeah um you know that that really worked for me early on too and also you know when someone asks you you know do you want to drink or be like just say no like I'm good thank you you don't have to go I feel like at the beginning I would be like no I'm just taking a break because I'm on a diet and I'm I, I gotta run tomorrow and you know like don't don't go into the whole story just be like I'm good thank you like when somebody gives you a, a piece of chocolate and you don't want it, you're like, I'm good, thank you. Just say yeah. that. You don't have to make this whole story because that's when you you get in trouble and they're like, oh, you're okay? Is everything okay? <laughs> I did find having, having sort of like a script, sounds silly, but something like ready in your head about what you're going to say when someone says, why not? Or... You know, so when someone says, do you want to drink? If you're happy to just say, no, thanks, I'm good, that's fine. But if you have, if you want to offer some kind of explanation so that no more questions are asked, that's fine too. And, you know, just whatever you're comfortable sharing, um, just have it ready. Like what are you going to say if someone says, why aren't you drinking? Or like I know some people still say to me, are you really not drinking forever? Like is this really forever or is this just for now kind of thing? Um yeah, so have it ready, what you're going to say. So you What's your answer it. to that when somebody asks you, is this forever or is this temporary thing? Yeah, well, I always say that nothing, I can never guarantee anything forever. Like I'm not going to commit the 
rest of my life to be in a box and to, you know, be a non-drinker forever. But what I do say is I've never found in the last three or four years a reason to go back to drinking. And, like, I can't I can't envisage any situation that would make me think, you know, what I want to drink for that occasion. Um, but, yeah, I never, never say never forever because who yeah. knows what. You know, actually, like any Grace gave a good, uh, somebody asked her, do you drink? And she says, yeah, I, I do drink, but I just haven't wanted to in the last yes. six years. I you, I think you probably heard her say that. And I was like, that's a brilliant explanation. It's like, yeah, I, I do drink. I can drink, but I just haven't wanted to in the last year or last two years, whatever it is that you want to say. So, yeah. and you know, a lot of times when people ask you and they push on that, that question is usually because they are the ones that are uncomfortable being around you. You're not drinking, feeling like that maybe you're going to be judging them. So also be mindful of that because usually it is the other people. And sometimes, you know, the people that don't understand and they don't respect the boundaries and the fact that you don't want to drink and you want to live a sober and healthy life. Sometimes there's some people that I had to let go out of my life that no longer served me because they were only the drinking buddies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's okay too. I mean, it's a good time when you stop drinking to really like reflect on mm-hmm. gives you the time and the space, like the headspace and the non-foggy brain to assess things. And I mean, really, if the only thing you have in common with someone is your drinking relationship and the relationship won't survive without the two of you drinking together, then I think that says a lot about the friendship. And, you know, I think, you know, you'd be happy to let that person go. Um, Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, if that's the only thing that's keeping a friendship going, then it, it doesn't, it's not a very sustainable friendship. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so it's a great time to reevaluate some things in life. I do want to talk about something new that you're working on. Uh, I think you posted it on your Instagram, but I hear and I can't wait to get it. You're working on a recipe, mocktail recipe book. Is that right? Yes. I can't believe it. A real life (laughs) publisher wants to actually publish my book, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm working on it at the moment. I'm up to chapter three. The concept of the book is actually mocktails that are better for you. So you won't find traditional mocktails that are packed with like sugar and bottled juice and everything else. Um, I'll be using, you know, fresh ingredients, um, kombuchas. They'll be really hydrating um, and just looking at healthier options for, you know, each of the classic mocktails, but then, um, lots of tea-based mocktails and, you know, things that sort of nourish you from the inside out. So I'm really, really excited about it. The book is coming together so well. Um, it's not going to be out until 2024, but it's um, it's going to be well worth the wait. That is so exciting. This one's just going to be a recipe book, so, like, perfect for a gift, perfect for a bar cart at home. Mm-hmm. Um But then later on, I would love to write, I actually spoke to my publisher about that too, about maybe writing something more about 
you know, the benefits of being alcohol-free and and I'm sure there's something I could do with that too. But and, definitely, one... and definitely your story because the story is what sells too and just how you started this whole community and the mocktails. Um, I mean, they are amazing. I've, I actually made some when I was in um, in Grand Cayman for my birthday. One of the mocktails wa- was one of yours that I made uh, and it was fabulous. I loved it. And I cannot wait to make some more when uh, your book comes out. How do you, my question is like, how do you come up with this mock test? I know you've done some, you took some classes and how to pair the tastings. Like, does it take forever to like come up with something that's like perfectly done, the colors, like the layout of it? Like it's gotta, it, it cannot be easy. I cannot imagine no, it's not easy. Um, I have this amazing, actually, I wish I had it around here. I don't know where it is. Um, I have this like massive flavor pairing Bible. It's literally like about this thick. Sorry, oh. on the podcast, I can't see that, but it's probably about three or four inches thick, like a really thick book. And I use that for a lot of my inspiration. So, yeah, like a flavor pairing Bible. And I think to myself, right, it's cherry season. I want to do something with cherries. And then I'll go through and I'll look at all of the, um, you know, all of the flavor affinities Mm. that work well with cherries. And then the ideas just really come from there. So, um, yeah, I keep thinking one day I'm going to run out of ideas, but I just don't run out of ideas. And then there's always... (laughs) trending mocktails and you know things that are happening online so you know sometimes I'll take those and have a play with those um and then just like the recreation of the classics are always fun it's actually one of the chapters that I finished in the book and it's like a healthier twist on each of the classic um cocktails so like you know your blue lagoons and pina coladas mm. and everything Oh, um, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, I had a lot of fun working on that chapter. That was really awesome. And I'm consulting with a nutritionist at the same time, just so, you know, I've got some really solid foundation there for, you know, research-based, like, health benefits for each drink. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, yeah, so I just I haven't run out of ideas yet. I don't know. They just keep coming. And also, like, I feel like, you know, mocktails are really just starting to take off now yeah and you know the sky's the limit it's like we're sort of redefining what a mocktail or what a non-alcoholic cocktail actually is and you know it's really just sort of taking on a life of its own um and you know they're getting easier and easier to make at home you can get like the really cute equipment now and some gorgeous glassware and you know some nice ice molds and just really really have fun with it yeah and there's so many like uh, non-alcoholic spirits that come out like i i got like a non-alcoholic tequila to make margarita it was amazing i was like this is so good like it's really mind blowing how much like it's out there like that. It wasn't even like a year or two years ago when I, I mean, when I look back and I know there's like uh, non-alcoholic like mocktail bars that are just mocktails that opening up, which is super cool. I love it. Yeah. And doing exceptionally well. We've got a non-alcoholic yeah. bar called Brunswick Aces um, and they do really well. And I know there's one over there in the States. Is it absence of proof? Is she... I can't remember, sorry, I can't remember her name. Um, but yeah, there's a non-alcoholic bar over there. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. And also your book will have like whatever's on your Instagram, 
pretty much everything that's going to be in your book is it's going to be new recipes, right? Like eight, yes. more than 80% or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So the book will have around 65 to 70 recipes. There'll be five or six of my favorite ones that I've shared before online or, um, you know, on my socials. Um, but otherwise, it's going to be all um, brand new recipes developed, you know, with this nutritionist to make sure they have, you know, maximum nutritional value. That's awesome. And can people pre-order this book yet or is it not available yet for pre-order? So I have um, a wait list for pre-order. So the best way to access that, if you head to my Instagram, so the Mindful Mocktail, and you, there'll be like a link in my profile at the top. And if you just click on that link, you'll see that there's a tab there where you can um, pop your name down for pre-orders and I'll send you an email when pre-orders awesome. are open. Yay. I'm putting myself on that list for sure. I love it. And I love what you're doing with, with this, soul, this whole sober movement, just adding more and having more options for people that do want to choose the sober lifestyle and still want to enjoy a mocktail here and there that's healthy. Um, yeah, I love it. Before we go, I this is one question that I like to ask all my um, guests on my podcast is what are the three things you wish you had known sooner about anything in your life, relationships, health, uh, family, whatever it is? Yeah, oh, I, ha I have kept these. I mean, they're somewhat specific to my experience with quitting alcohol. So I hope that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One thing I wish I had learned earlier was um, healthier ways to manage stress. Mm -hmm. So, so long I used wine to manage stress um, and social media to manage stress. Um, but I wish someone had taught me that what I was trying to do was like numb out, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously my body, my mind felt quite stressed and what I was trying to do was release that stress because until... I didn't even realize that's what I was doing, <laughs> you know. So I wish I'd known earlier that just doing all the boring things that people tell you to do, like going for a walk yeah. or meditating for 10 minutes or even having a nap if your lifestyle allows that, mm -hmm. um, even just down to things like sleeping well and eating well, these are all really the things that we need to do to to help manage stress and that there mm. are healthy ways and unhealthy ways of managing stress. Mm, so that's so that's good. I just wish I had learned earlier. Um, I really wish I had known earlier that it's okay to walk away from something that is no longer serving you, even if it's always been part of your life. So mm. once upon a time, just so huge the idea of not having alcohol in my life was just ridiculous because it just infiltrated every part of my life and I wish I had been told earlier you know you can you can let go of things whatever it is a relationship alcohol whatever if it's no longer serving you um and then the third one sort of ties back into the first one I wish I had known earlier how important it is to prioritize sleep and nutrition like it's obvious it's cliche it's boring <laughs> but yeah, it's number one it's number one one like cliches are cliches for a reason because they're often true and you know yeah when I think back to when I was so 
survived with those two little boys waking up multiple times a night, so sleep deprived, not eating properly. And there I was drinking a bottle of wine at night before bed, you know, as a form of self-care. Yeah. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I was just making my life so much harder. And I just, I wish I'd known that a long time ago that, yeah, sleep and yeah. nutrition. And that alcohol did help you fall asleep. But it didn't yeah. keep you asleep and those REM cycles were cut down. The time of your REM cycles were a lot shorter because of the alcohol in your body. So, yeah, those are those are great points. Thank you for sharing. I truly enjoy this. I hope people will go to your Instagram, get your book pre-ordered soon. Hopefully the Mindful Mocktail is the Instagram. I'll link all that below. And thank you for inspiring people out there into the sober move movement from being honest and sharing your story without any kind of stigma or feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be talking about it. Because like you said, so many women have come up after you shared your story and they're like, oh my gosh, that's me. And so there's no shame in it. And especially if you are struggling and you need help, reach out to someone because it is worth it. It's life-changing. Such a pleasure. It was just, um, yeah, such a really great conversation. And I just really thank you for inviting me to come yeah. on and chat. Thank you so much, Natalie. I look forward to getting your book and sharing this podcast with everyone out there. Hey, if you are ready to lose that toxic weight and transform your mind so that weight never comes back, I want to invite you to join my Mind Body Boss Mentorship Program where I use my proven formula to teach you how to achieve that. So you just click on the link in the description to learn more. See you on the inside.